So, Kevin, I'm loving our new newsletter. What do you think? It looks great. You do a good job with it. Well, we sent two newsletters out this week. One featured a link to an extended blooper reel I made. That was so (laughs) freaking funny. And embarrassing at the same time. Yeah. The other newsletter was asking listeners to send in questions so that we can start playing with that advice podcast. I've been trying to convince you to start. Will you please try that with me? What would it be? Well, we already got one question for our advice podcast. Mm-hmm. Well, what's it about? Mothers-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> you know, e- even though I know that neither of our mothers could download this podcast if their lives depended on it, <laughs> I'm not touching that. Let's move along. All right. Well, listeners, if you want to join our newsletter posse so that you can get extra notices about special content, you can get news about events and things that are going on behind the scenes Go to our website, sign up on CrimeWritersOn.com. And while you're there, you can also bookmark our Amazon link so you can support the show by using it for all of your shopping. And if you're listening to this one sentence and Rebecca didn't cut it out, it means that international listeners, we also have a link so you can go to Amazon Canada and Amazon UK. Unfortunately, some other countries don't work, though. Yeah, some other. (laughs) Sorry, Japan. Sorry. Australia. Yeah, Australia. I don't know. New Zealand. (sighs) New Zealand. So I guess since we're talking about that link, it's time for Toby's List. So here are just some of the items our listeners purchased on Amazon this week using the link at our website, crimewriterson.com. Roll it? You want me to say that? <laughs> you really? Yeah. Okay. Never mind. We all know that I'm not actually rolling it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Star Laboratories, Superman DC Comics, Star Labs, Adult Distressed Hoodie, Medium, Navy, GG Brazilian Bikini Wax Microwave Formula, Water Pick. Replacement Tongue Cleaners, 2-pack. Two Dirt Devil F25 Allergen Filters, designed to fit Dirt Devil Vacuum Cleaner F25 F-25 Filter. VersaPower Filter, Comparative Part Number, 2SV1102000. Feline Soft Claws Cat Nail Caps Take-Home Kit One Quarter Sheet MLB Milwaukee Brewers Birthday Edible Image Cake Cupcake Topper Three Exclamation Points Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On, Serial Season 2, the podcast about a podcast and also about journalism, TV, pop culture, true crime, and occasionally other podcasts. Today we'll be talking about a grab bag of topics from some follow-up on last week's episode of Serial to the responsibility some of us feel to not accuse someone of murder in public to the people versus O.J. Simpson and, of course, that Downton Abbey finale. Joining me to do all of that is my true crime co-author and real-life husband, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. I wish I had something funny to say, but I'm all out. We'll see. Okay? (laughs) Jury's out on that. And on the line with us is journalist, true crime author, former defense investigator, and licensed private investigator, Laura Bricker. Welcome back, Laura. Thank you. And finally, our resident devil's advocate, crime fiction writer, Toby Ball. Welcome back, Toby. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty funny, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so we're we're starting with a little segment that we're just going to call Rough Week. This past weekend, a fundraiser to benefit the Adnan Syed Foundation was held in Baltimore. The guests of honor included Justin Brown, Adnan's attorney, Robbie, Susan, and Colin from the Undisclosed podcast, and Bob Ruff from the Truth and Justice podcast, which started out, I believe, as the Serial Dynasty podcast before he switched the name Serial to... Universe? Okay, yeah, something so. like that. Sorry. Anyway, the event made waves because during an audience Q&A, Bob was asked who he thought killed Heyman Lee, and he answered the question... 
accusing a certain person of being Hayes' killer. He said that he had an overwhelming amount of, quote, circumstantial evidence that this person had killed Hay. The Internet immediately, I saw it on Twitter, I saw it on Reddit, kind of went, crazy. Some were celebrating what Bob said. Others decried it. Now, to be clear, none of us actually know Bob, but we know many of our listeners love him. We want to be sensitive to that as we talk about this. So despite what we think happened, I want to make it clear that we are talking about what Bob did and our view of it in terms of what we would do, right? Right, right. Okay. We don't want people to stop listening to his podcast, (laughs) and we don't want all of his fans to stop listening to ours. To be fair, it's America, and you are allowed to say what you want to say to a certain degree. <laughs> so anyway. But you could get in trouble for it. But you could get in trouble for it, and that's what we're going to talk about. So I want to just kind of go around. So Kevin, when you heard about this at first, you saw the video, mm-hmm. right? A little yeah. bit. What did you think? Well, I mean, uh, you know, the mitigating factor was somebody in the audience asked him a direct question about this. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like, at first I thought maybe he gave a speech and made a declaration and had a PowerPoint or whatever. But yeah, the statement was unwise to accuse somebody who's a private citizen who has not been accused of this crime. It put Bob in an actionable position, I think. What did you think, Laura, when you heard about this? Well, I think you have to be real careful when you name somebody publicly who isn't actually a suspect in the case, you know, with libel issues and things like that. I mean, we all know I'm like the biggest speculator out there. I'm always <laughs> speculating about everything and everyone. But that has gotten me into trouble in the past. So I know you just have to be careful, you know, when you're naming people. I mean, I think it's safer to talk maybe in... Uh, I wouldn't say generalities, but just maybe keeping things a little bit less specific Mm -hmm. so that it doesn't come back. I mean, because you could also end up tainting. It's like when the police are talking publicly about a case, they don't give specific information out because that can taint the jury pool, that can taint other witnesses. There's a lot of things that can happen. Do you think, Laura, that there is like a level of distance you put between you and what it is that you said when you acknowledge that you're speculating? Is that is that helpful? Yeah, I think so. Because, you know, we talk a lot here. You know, it's like I'm always like, well, what about this? What about that? But I think that's sort of when you're, I would say, brainstorming or sort of discussing, but actually coming right out and saying, I think that this person did it. I'd be a little uncomfortable with that. What about you, Toby? Yeah, I mean, I think we've talked about it a little bit before about sort of the responsibility of, you know, being judicious with what you say. It's funny because I haven't really listened to his podcast before, but to me, I think about the impact, I guess, that it would have on that person who is named and the idea that 16, 17 years after this whole thing happened and you go through all of Serial where it's all brought up again and then somebody says publicly that they have a lot of circumstantial evidence that you did it. I think that's got to be pretty disturbing. Kevin, I actually went on Reddit because I got a slew of private messages on Twitter and on Reddit Mm -hmm. and a bunch of emails immediately after this happened, people asking me what I thought. Did I agree? Did I want to weigh in? And I saw the stuff happening on Reddit and I thought, you know what? I just want to like, I had really strong feelings about it in the moment. So I posted a post there. You were getting a direct question from the audience too. Sort of. And I also felt, you know... I had feelings about it that mm-hmm. I that I wanted to share. And I, you know, later realized, you know, I didn't want to do the same thing to Bob that I thought had right. been done to this other person. Right. So I amended my post a little bit later. But I guess my question to you is, you know, I was really stuck between sort of the ethical guidelines of journalists, because that is my day job, obviously. Mm-hmm. Also sort of the moral responsibility of being a citizen. But then there's that third thing, which is the legal liability that one is subject to. When they make a statement like that, and I'm wondering if you can speak to that a little bit. I know you have some experience. You were also a journalist for a long time. How do you prove that you've been defamed or that you've been slandered or libeled? Like, what is that standard? Okay, well, slander and, and libel are similar. Slander is when you say something defamatory about someone. Libel is when you broadcast or publish that. So there's a little bit of difference. What is defamation then? Okay, now I'm just going to say I am sort of the grinder of, of media law. <laughs> Defamation would be an act where you hold up someone to false public ridicule. Okay. Okay. In libel case, we were always careful as journalists about libel. And, you know, the landmark case, the precedent-setting case is Times versus Sullivan, 1964. And that set the bar for what libel is and sort of what the defense that you as a journalist can present about saying this story is not libelous. Now, the first thing is that 
the accusation or the publication, the thing has to be untrue. Truth is the best defense against libel. Right. And could this person not point to Adnan Syed's conviction and say it's not true? In the eyes of the law, Adnan Syed is the killer right. of Heyman Lee. Right. So, right. Whether or not you believe it, that right. is yeah. the, legal, the legal truth. Okay, go ahead. Right. And it doesn't, you can't even say, I think that so and so did it. I mean, that, that's enough. So, it has to be. A false statement. The person has to be identified or identifiable. Mm-hmm. You can't just like not use their name and say, you know, my brother-in-law. You, right. know, you can't. If someone is able to kind of figure out who this person actually is, there has to be a proof that the statement did harm financially, that you were held up to public ridicule. And if you are a private person, there's a different standard between a private person and a public person. A public person is defined as someone who has thrown themselves into the public vortex, (laughs) right? A, A politician or something like that. For a private citizen, you do not have to prove malice. But for a politician, somebody who's famous... Uh, or in the in the public spotlight, you do have to prove that there was malice. I mean, there was recklessness and disregard for whether or not this was truthful or libelous. So there's a difference then between us saying, for instance, I think O.J. Simpson did it, and I think yeah. this private citizen killed Heyman Lee, right? Y- right. In a civil court, yes, there is a difference. Well, first of all, O.J. Simpson was found guilty in a civil court of yeah, but but if there was a, but, right, right. So if O.J. Simpson wants to sue us. <laughs> <laughs> for saying, oh, and I don't think, I, you know, Lester Holt is never going to go on NBC and say, O.J. Simpson, who no. was acquitted but actually killed somebody. Right, right. Look, the four of us whistle past the graveyard on this a lot. Oh, sure. You know, and I think if you went back and listened to everything, we say, oh, are we close on some stuff? Yeah, maybe we are. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think we've ever gone out and accused somebody. So there's a couple of things there that if this were broadcast, and here's the funny thing. That I don't know what the the Periscope it was on Periscope if that would be analogous to being on television. But if somebody made a statement like that and then it were rebroadcast mm-hmm. or like broadcast later or published later, the publisher could also be sued if it can be proven that they had reason to believe this was a libelous or false statement, right. and they published so it. So actually, way. Periscope could technically be in peril. I mean, I mean, well, I'm, the, I'm, the, I'm, per, I'm, the Periscope. User, right. but, I'm not saying but, in this case, but I'm yeah. saying that's the kind of thing that I think this new media uh, landscape is putting forward. I mean, I think in the past, this would have been a mis- statement at a private event, and it would have been, you know, a moment. Yeah. And, but then we saw, like, in the 2012 election, Mitt Romney had what he thought was a private statement right. in a private event, and we now know the whole world is right. now different. Right. So my, I guess and my... Another thing is it has to be published. So, uh, if, and you know, whatever that means. So, yeah, like a Periscope thing would, would also... It is published, yes. Yeah, so that's another check now. on yeah. the Yeah, no, it yeah. has been captured. The video is still out there, even though it's been taken down. Uh, But doesn't um, Periscope only last for like a certain period of time? I mean, you can only go back for like so long. Periscope works like that, but the video is out there. It's been, it's still being passed around on Twitter. And it's not a video that I would retweet. Somebody actually retweeted it and and said, what do you think? And I said, I'm not even comfortable with the fact that you retweeted that video, frankly. The the video was important, though, just for this. I'll interrupt just on one thing here. He was on stage with Rabia and with Susan and with Colin and sort of the first buzz went around that all of the, uh, the the three others, the the three lawyers, were all in agreement. And when you watch the video, you could actually see Susan was shaking her head. Either, and we don't know what she was thinking, or what, but it it appeared to me like she was like, no, I can't believe right, it. It was right. more of a a disapproving head shake of the head, either because she disagreed with who he fingered or the fact that he did it. Right. Well, I'll tell you, I moderated that podcast episode with the undisclosed team where they gave their theories of the crime, mm-hmm. and they all said what they thought could have happened, but none of them named a person. You no, know, they've been to law school. They know you can't do that. You can't do that. Yeah. I mean, the 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 issue with this person would be potential like. Employability, for instance, right? Because you can, like, when you're hiring somebody, you Google them, right? Yeah. <laughs> right, right. This person could say they would not have to necessarily prove it, but they, but they could definitely say that there was financial harm, plus right. their reputation was harmed mm-hmm. by being accused of being a killer. Right. You know, there are certain things you can say that it's prima facie liable. You call somebody a mobster, you know, that is a libelous statement. Or a child molester. Child molester. Yep. Murderer. I also kind of think that the Baltimore County Court might, you know, have a different standard. And I know Toby's going to want to get on this, but you know, this speaks to sort of the danger of investigating in real time in public. We saw this somewhat with Serial Season One, as you know, the outside forces started shaping this journalistic narrative. 
but you know, like when you are investigating and having to lay your cards out about what you found out digging into this case, there is some peril there, right, Toby? Yeah, I. It seems strange to have private citizens based on listening to a podcast then go and do, you know, quote unquote investigation Mm -hmm. and then feel that what they've discovered is actionable. It's funny when it's the payphone at Best Buy. It's not so funny when people are driving by Jay Wilde's house. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the first thing that sort of came into my mind is Jay and what happened with him and thinking if this person who was named has kids and and just what's been shown that people will do is just, you know, showing up to Jay's house, taking pictures of his kids, things like that. I mean, that's, again, that's the kind of consequence that makes me feel really uncomfortable about people who are sort of amateur sleuths Mm -hmm. who go beyond... You know, I I think it's fine to be on Reddit or or some other place and just kind of throwing out wild theories or whatever. I think when you say, I've got evidence that this person is guilty, that's a real another step. And it just, I worry that people will take it more seriously than it ought to be taken Mm -hmm. without, you know, I have no idea what Bob Ruff came. Maybe he's got like great evidence or whatever, but it's not out there for people to evaluate. Right. It's just something he said. I I don't disagree with you. And I think that was why I had such a visceral reaction to it. And, um, you know, it's been a really interesting week for that reason. It's really made me sort of think a lot about, I'm you know, I'm sure if you like, as, as Kevin said, if you listen back to every minute of everything we've ever said in this podcast, we've probably at one time or another said something that maybe in retrospect we may say, oh, we maybe shouldn't have said that. But I don't know. I, I, I know that everybody's human. I don't think that Bob is, I don't know him, but I don't think he's a bad he's guy. He's very passionate about yeah, this. he meant and, well. And, and he's actually, you know, moved, I don't want to say moved on, but he's, he's in addition to, you know, the Syed case, he's doing other stuff where he's trying to do investigation. And yeah, and people love that. And just, you know, I think you got to tread carefully. You do. And if you come up with that. Breaking new ground here. Yeah. Crowdsourcing. Yeah. Not just crowdsourcing, but doing it in real yeah, time. It still makes well, me uncomfortable. <laughs> these, <laughs> these are where the pitfalls. And what was that person in the audience thinking was going to happen? I'd be. <laughs> I don't know. I guess for me, the thing that this finally brings up is that, you know, we are in, I think, a unique position on our show because we either all currently or formerly worked in journalism. I think what we know we're doing on this show is not journalism. It's largely entertainment and analysis. You know, we have a show that's mm-hmm. fun, that's like for enjoyment. We're not trying to uh, investigate anything or bring any new ground. So we all have a code that we brought with us into this show that we're comfortable with this, we're not comfortable with that. That even extends to our advertising to some extent. There are some things that I can and can't do around ads that Kevin you don't have the same boundaries that I do because you no longer work in journalism for your day job. So we think that way all the time. But I think that what's difficult for me in thinking about is that is podcasting this form of entertainment and people who find things and report them, that sort of journalism entertainment boundary is being pushed in a new way that reminds me a lot of like, you know, the true crime TV shows that you watch that where they've like changed all the facts and, you know, have like the sexy model playing like the serial killer and mm-hmm. stuff. The B actress. Yeah. This is like, the, you're like this, oh, it's Beverly D'Angelo. Exactly. She's the killer. This is like this, week this, is, like, this is like the flip side of that, you know, yeah. where this thing that started as sheer entertainment. I mean, people reacting to serial, this like journalism podcast for entertainment purposes. Do those journalism rules apply but, I mean, certainly the legal stuff applies, right? Like, the liability stuff should apply. But. Oh, yeah. Just ask the grinder. All right. So let's move on and talk about what this podcast is usually about, mm-hmm. <laughs> at least for the next few minutes. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Serial, uh, last week's episode, and some things that we did not talk about. Now, several websites have reported that Mark Bowles' production company is moving ahead with a different documentary, one about the Detroit race riots of 1968, and maybe putting any Bo Bergdahl project on the back burner. What I'm wondering is, uh, Toby, I'll start with you. Is it possible that, you know, this season of Serial, which many have said doesn't quite have the compelling storyline of the first season, or maybe it's not as listened to, who knows. But do you think this season of Serial may have hurt the production of that film? Yeah, it could be. I mean, it could be that the the response hasn't been as uh, euphoric as it was for season one. It may also be that having a second Bergdahl production coming out relatively close in time from from this serial he may feel like that's sort of overload for for this story 
So I'd be interested in knowing if he's planning on doing something in like three years with what he's got or whether it's, you know, it's just completely he's he's kind of giving it a pass at this point. You know, Laura, I thought about you because remember, I'm thinking about some of your theories about how cereal may have been, you know, produced and this season may have been planned and in the can while she works on season three. It occurred to me that maybe Mark Bull wasn't going to make this movie and this was a good way to use all of the tape. And that was sort of the deal that he put together with a team at Serial. What do you think? I don't know. I mean, it, it could just be that, he, you know, this is sort of testing the waters in terms of how much interest there is in this case. And they put this out there. But maybe that was a way to sort of say, you know, use the material that he had gathered if he wasn't going to do some sort of film. But I would like to see some video of Bo Bergdahl having talked a lot this season about how he comes across differently to those who have met him and how people who sit down and talk to him have a different impression. I think for me, I would really like to see somebody sit down and interview him and see the tape of that. Now, I have a follow up question for you, because when Sarah Koenig appeared on the New Yorker podcast, she was asked whether or not she had some sort of contractual deal with Bo for his story. And she said no, but she indicated that Mark's company does have some sort of understanding. She said she didn't think it was her place to reveal whatever that contract might be. But I'm asking you, in the interest of transparency, you know, do we as listeners need to know if there is some sort of financial or contractual deal between, say, Mark Bull and Bo Bergdahl, given that that is the source of all of that interview tape? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think it sort of depends. You know, again, this is right back to the conversation we were just having a little bit. You know, if it's a contractual agreement, that may be private and we may not need to be privy to that or they, that may be part of the deal that it is private. It's interesting. I hadn't even thought of that. What do you think, Kevin? Well, I mean, there was always the, the phrase checkbook journalism, which in American press was a big no-no. In the British press, it's not. They often pay for interviews quite a bit. And we know now these days the, the primetime news shows, uh, they won't pay for interviews, but they will pay for things like we're going to license these still photographs that you provide. That yes. you provide. Mm-hmm. So there is some money exchanged. Yeah. You know, I, I'm embarrassed to admit when I heard that the first time, it didn't click with me. But yes, I think that for the sake of transparency, that there should be some recognition that there's something. Sarah is right. And she didn't say there was. I mean, she kind of intimated. I mean, I think you can infer from what she said that there is some sort of agreement between Mark's company and Bo, uh, and that there isn't one with her. So to that extent, her hands are clean. But I think so that we understand, especially in this case where so much of the story, Bo is the only source for. Mm-hmm. You know, he is the only source. That they have been able to somewhat corroborate stuff with the journalists in the region, yep. right? You know, in platoon mates and. Look, you know, when he was rescued, he was, you know, emaciated. So, you know, he wasn't living high on the hog for five years. Yeah, I think that we probably deserve to at least know that. I mean, we talked about bias one time. And that doesn't necessarily mean that because there is an agreement, maybe a financial agreement, that you can't trust what Bo says. But you should have the context to understand that to make up your mind. It's interesting. What do you think, Toby? Well, I think I, I agree with Kevin. I think for me, what would be sort of most interesting to know is what Bo's understanding of what was going to come out of those conversations was. Like, is he having those conversations like as a precursor to making the documentary? Is he under the impression that it's going to end up being a feature film starring Brad Pitt? It'd be interesting to know what his understanding of what the potential end product Mm -hmm. of these conversations is going to be. I don't know if it sheds a whole lot of light on how he might be shading a story if in fact he's shading it at all which Mm -hmm. you know it doesn't really come off that way but I think it'd be interesting information to have. So what you're saying is that maybe this was going to be like a zero dark 30 type film that Bo would be considered like a consultant on that film by providing part of the story and and it wouldn't necessarily be that he was because it's unusual for someone to be paid to be in a documentary about them right isn't that not usually how it works? Yeah and you know the whole thing about I'm going to give you the rights to my story. Yeah that's not a thing. No I mean what what you're you're paying for is for people to not, for that person to not share it with somebody right. else. Right. Actually, we should clarify this because we get this all the time. Right. People will call after we've written a book. Someone will get in touch with us who's in the book and say that we owe them money because we didn't pay them for the rights oh. for their story. That guy wanted $20,000 because <laughs> we used his name. I was like, 
dude, you went on the stand. Right. You're a public figure. You don't own your name. Right. Well, you, Sorry. Nobody owns their own store. They just no. don't. Right. But they do own the right to not sell it to anybody else. Yeah, their cooperation is what they're right. giving. I can't pay you. Enough. To... You couldn't pay me enough. <laughs> All right. Rebecca. Let's move on. Go well, ahead. I, I think gonna... Jay, Jay Peterman paid Kramer. Yeah. (laughs) But your original question, I think, about, you know, what's happening with the production is I think that they were obviously thinking if they shared this with Serial, they were going to get a bump. And I think it's just proven that there isn't a big appetite for the Bo Bergdahl story because it's so divisive, Mm -hmm. even though it was interesting. Mm -hmm. And in any event, he's got to wait till it's adjudicated. Right. Because he doesn't have an ending to his documentary because he hasn't been through the court. It's only Zero Dark 29 right now. It's only Zero Dark 29. (laughs) It strikes me as like potentially like a really good frontline episode, Mm -hmm. but whether it's like uh, the kind of documentary that's going to you know, be shown in movie theaters. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Toby, uh, as an aside, I listen to Frontline as a podcast. I don't actually have time. I mean, I should watch the show because I know it's a great show. But yeah. I, I listen to the podcast version of it. Did you catch the one about Benjamin Netanyahu by any chance? I did Netanyahu not. at war. That yeah. was great. Netanyahu was, was like it a, good? It's a three-part thing, like a wow. subject that I never Two thought parts? I would be interested in, but I recommend it highly. Anyway, but Netanyahu at war. It's a Frontline, both television thing as well as a three-part or two-part podcast. Anyway, it's great. Back in military court now, Bo's court-martial is on hold after a military judge ruled that the government must turn over classified documents to the defense that have yet to be disclosed to them. And then last week... Bo's attorneys filed suit against the Department of Defense to expedite a freedom of information request for all communications between the Pentagon and members of Congress regarding Bergdahl. And finally, this was like the craziest thing of all, Bo's lawyers want to question Donald Trump about statements that he's made at campaign rallies about wanting to execute Bo Bergdahl. So is it fair to say that this highly politicized, highly charged political environment is coloring the legal case now against Bergdahl. What do you think, Toby? I, I don't see how it can't. I, and I, I assume this is what the next uh, episode is going to be about, is almost from the moment that we found out that he had been turned over, that we'd made this swap, it became highly politicized. Laura, do you think that someone can get a fair trial when their legal case is being put on display at a campaign rally with thousands of people in a stadium holding up signs and cheering when a candidate for president says that we should execute that person? Yeah, uh, it's, it's to me, that's it's just troubling. Again, it's this pack mentality that's being created around this whole issue. It's, it's really just getting to a, a whole nother level of vitriol that we it just I I don't even know what to make of it I I don't know what to make of the fact that they're calling Donald Trump um, to question I I don't I guess I don't really I mean I understand he's talked about it but I don't understand in the military court I guess how much all of this outside chatter and discussion about the case is really going to affect what's happening there I mean it's not like we're you know going to have to be going through with um, jurors to rule out people that have followed this case or seen things or been influenced. So I'm really interested to see what role that is going to play in the case, because I don't really understand it. We had Sarah describe, I know that we have the clip, but she she definitely quoted Senator John McCain Mm -hmm. saying that if there isn't punishment for Bergdahl, there will be congressional hearings. I mean, that's a threat. And that absolutely colors the way, because up until this point, you know, out of the Article 32 hearing, the uh, recommendation is no jail time, no you know further punishment. And right after that, the general in charge of the um, the proceedings says, "No, we're going to move ahead." And so, unlike a county judge, I don't know if it's you know the county commissioner says, "If this guy doesn't go to jail, we're going to have some kind of hearing." Whether that pulls any weight, but when Congress you know says we're going to call. You know, people at the Pentagon here to find out why not. That does color it. And I do think that that could be something that gets in the way of him having a fair trial. And let, let's be honest, all this really is is an exercise in sentencing mm-hmm. because Bo has already acknowledged walking away from his post mm-hmm. and going AWOL. And it's like, well, did he desert or was he kidnapped while he was AWOL? I think McCain, isn't he the chair of the uh, Senate Armed Services Committee? He is. He sure is. Yeah. So, I mean, I. 
I, I'd forgotten about that, Kevin, and I, and I think that's a that's a really good point. Is that that that's a hell of a lot of pressure. I mean, next to maybe the president. <laughs> yeah, it's not like uh, Al Franken say, is calling for this. Right, you mean yeah. you mean pressure on the powers that be in the military exactly. to do something because I, their funding is dependent on this committee in the Senate. Exactly. It's, right. Yeah. It's, per, it's purse strings, and then I think you know I, I think McCain gets a lot of respect in the military, and he should. And, because he's also I, I, a POW no, I'm, too. I'm, I'm absolutely not. But uh, yeah, saying that he shouldn't. But I, I think the combination of sort of his personal story and personal um, forthrightness as far as the military goes, and then also his position of power, that's a lot of pressure to bring to bear. As I'm listening to this, it's just troubling to me because I'm thinking, is there a way to ensure in the midst of all of this pressure that the legal system and the safeguards that are in place to give somebody a fair trial are upheld. And it seems like in this case, that's going to be a real challenge and a real uphill battle for his defense attorneys. I think it is, too. And I'm guessing that the desired Trump deposition might have something to do with pointing that out. You know, who that's knows? more show, I yeah, think. But I, you isn't know. that to prove that point, that it this is be. now yeah. bleeding over into a world that, I mean, I, I just want to ask one last question. It's a question that we got from a listener that's related to this. It's a listener named uh, Chris who wrote to us and said, um, of course, love the podcast. I got to start with that every time. <laughs> I look forward to it every week. He also said that. Anyway, uh, the question is, I didn't hear any discussion about the fact that Sarah mentioned Bergdahl's parents were told by government officials that when he got back, he wouldn't spend time in prison because of the time held captive was enough. And then he was back stateside and this political pressure and media pressure mounted. So, you know, the family got this promise and, you know, the promise and the intentions that were there have flipped. You know, it's not like it was up in the air. We'll see what's going to happen. I think this is where they're going with episode 10 based on the clips is, okay, now he's stateside. And why did the whole narrative get away from, the, you know, the people who were trying to bring him home and, and Bo Bergdahl himself? And how did he go from this being a feel-good rescued POW story to we just made a really rotten deal to get a traitor back? Right. And you- they didn't consult with an attorney. I mean, that was one of the things she pointed out in the last episode was that his parents, based on this communication, they didn't consult with any sort of attorney before he returned and immediately after he returned. So, you know, there's the other side to this is that he had really no preparation to protect himself legally. Yeah. Oh, well, you know, part that they haven't gotten to, they and maybe they're holding off on this, is we recall that the powers that be did not check with Congress about that and did not communicate thoroughly with Congress about what this deal was going. Sarah did mention they need to do that, but she hasn't gotten to the part of the story where the, those accusations are there. I don't know if there's a precedent for somebody being returned and then court-martialed or, or vilified publicly. Kevin's raising his hand. I have, he is. I have, <laughs> I have an example, two examples. Okay. One was okay. during the Vietnam War. There was a, uh, a, a soldier who, very much like Bergdahl, sort of went off base, was captured by the Viet Cong, and was held for eight years. Ooh. And I think he got a dishonorable discharge. Is this story he got that a reduction your dad told you? In, no, no. He got, a, he got a reduction in rank. He got a dishonorable discharge, but no time. Now, there was also a soldier who defected to North Korea. Was he, he an American? He was an American soldier, okay. defected to North Korea, became, and was held in this, uh, essentially a gulag for 30 years, was returned to the U.S. in 2000-something, and was court-martialed, and was given uh, 30 days detainment. What's a gulag? <laughs> I'm sorry, but all I can like think a, of is oatmeal. What is that? It's it's like a you know a very bad prison camp. Like a usually. Russian, like yeah, well. it's a, yeah, a yeah. horrible I, prison camp with forced labor and. Wow, I just want to tell you, standards. Toby. Every time I listen back, and it's time for me to sit down and like edit all the stuff we've recorded, your knowledge about all things international. Like, really, like every single time I'm like, wow, Toby just pulled that fact out about Greece. Toby just pulled that fact out about. Did you go to like foreign relations school for college or something like that? Foreign relations. (laughs) (laughs) Easy. Uh, No, I'm a history major. I, I, I just read a lot. Oh, all right. Well, I guess that explains that then. Hey, Kevin, is there something that uh, you want to say? You look like you're like chomping at the bit over there. You know, you know, I I just want someone to steal my identity. (laughs) I want I want the deal where they go to work for me and pay my bills and I hang out and they they just 
wear my face, but it never works wait, that way. Wait, wait, I have a question for you. Yeah. Should we like basically up the challenge every week to see how smooth of a transition you can make between what we were talking about and then the ad that we're going to talk about? I think that that was a um, not very smooth one. I think you could do better. Are right, so you cutting this out? No, seriously. Are leaving this in? That well, was not smooth. It's like, uh, you know who belongs in a gulag? <laughs> <laughs> I guess we're starting blooper reel Some number two. Potentially still kept my so this week in my town, we, we had a um, town meeting, and one of the things that passed was an article forbidding uh, drones from flying over people's private houses. And I said, I actually stopped the election results and said, thank God, because now that we have this podcast, people could be flying over our houses trying to see what we're doing and stealing your identity potentially and stealing my identity and now i know no drones are coming i feel i feel much better about everything go ahead kevin identity theft would be really great if they took your identity and went to work for you right yeah, yeah. and like paid your bills and you could just hang out but it's always the opposite they take the good stuff and leave you <laughs> with the crappy stuff with a shit sandwich yeah <laughs> you know it just it really just takes seconds you know, whether it's that credit card that you give to that shifty waiter, you know, or somebody reaching into your mailbox or, you know, some of the, the big retail stores getting your identity. And it's really no joke. That's why I'm excited that I've got LifeLock Ultimate Plus Identity Theft Protection. They got my back. They are doing all sorts of things to protect my identity, check old school credit monitoring. Uh, they're watching my bank accounts, my credit even my good name. Now, look, no one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses, but LifeLock Ultimate Plus provides LifeLock's most comprehensive identity theft protection. It's great. I got everybody in my family on it. I got, I'm on it? You're on it. I got, no way. I got the kids on it. Um, checking their social security numbers, it's going to really suck if one of them tries to go to college and we find out that somebody's been using their social security number for 18 years. LifeLock is going to try to help us make sure that doesn't happen. And if it does, they've got a big staff of restoration people. I won't be on the phone pressing nine to get an operator. They know who to call. They work it out and make it all better. Will anybody go to the gulag as a result of this? Um, <laughs> That's a good question. I, they, I'll send a drone to see what it looks like. So you really do have LifeLock. I re- we really do have LifeLock. Huh. And it's 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 really great. You get all sorts of alerts, even when a new sex offender registers in your neighborhood. They'll let you know. I just want to know that because I want to know that. <laughs> <laughs> Go to LifeLock.com now and enter promo code CRIMEWRITERS or call and mention CRIMEWRITERS and save 10%. Call 1-800-866-7341. Or go to lifelock.com. That's lifelock.com. What's the promo code? I want to hear the promo code again. Crime Writers. If you do get it, please use Crime Writers. Let them know that you heard it here. I have a personal story about buying razors I'd like to share with you. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) That was smooth, right? Awesome segue. Awesome segue. (laughs) Well, you had a smooth razor, yes. This is a true story. This is actually not because we're about to just add that this happened. It actually did happen. I'm only telling it to you because we're about to do this ad. But I went to a chain drugstore about two weeks ago Mm -hmm. and went to go buy a razor for my son because he's got the little man hair going on in his face right now. And it was like locked in a thing. And and this was like a store with aisles. Yeah. (laughs) And so I had to go get somebody at this big chain store to walk back to the aisle with me and unlock the thing in which... The razors and razor blades were kept. And I can tell you something. It was a gajillion dollars. <laughs> well, that's why it's locked, because razors are like one of the most expensive things in the store that people will steal. And so one of our great new sponsors is Harry's. Yay! Harry's Razors. <laughs> they are the only shaving company that has both amazing quality and low prices. German-engineered Five-blade cartridges, close, comfortable shaves, no cuts or burns, and quality is guaranteed. They will fully refund your money if you're not happy. Toby, did you get the gift pack from Harry? <laughs> I, I did get the gift pack, and I, after apologizing to my face for <laughs> 20 years of abuse, I swear, I, maybe I've got like old technology that I was using, but it, it really is. It made a huge difference. 
to me. In what uh, way? I want to hear more about what different kind of difference it made to you. I don't shave my face, so I don't know about this kind of stuff. You don't? No. Neither does um, Toby. He, you're just assuming <laughs> that he meant he was using it on his face. That's right. It, it's serious, like it's just not. It's not harsh. It, it's got like a little flexible thing or something, so that it's not. You don't really feel like you're pulling something across your face. Mm-hmm. And the handle, yeah. right? That you get, like you get a razor handle in this gift pack, along with some moisturizing shave cream and three razor blades, each with yeah. five blades on them. And it's just like it is. So smooth, like you, butter. Yeah, you know, usually, Toby, you're right. Like when you shave, like after your your whiskers are rough, you get that <laughs> kind of noise, yeah. and this just went right through. Yeah, for the first time I was doing it, I was like, "Am I really getting anything accomplished?" <laughs> yeah, you're wondering. It's just, it's, it's like, am I just scraping uh, shaving cream off my face? Yeah, this it's like a shaving f- cream remover. Yeah. But no, it, it was it was great. I actually seriously was talking to my sister on the phone. What are you doing, like, Toby? I'm shaving while I'm talking to you. I had the most wonderful experience. I hope it was speakerphone because you have like under one, you know, under on the shoulder, under one cheek is the phone and you're doing the other. It's like Harry's like new slogan is, it's just like a shaving cream remover. <laughs> <laughs> now, Laura, your, your husband, I don't know if you've received your Harry's pack. We've not talked about this in advance. I have noticed your husband, the fire chief, we've talked about on the show, has a very fancy fire chief mustache, right? That's that's exactly what I was going to say. Shaving is big business here. Um, he doesn't have the handlebar mustache, but he does have the fire chief fireman mustache, and he was quite excited to get these razors, and he has also um, been quite smitten with them. All right. Cool. Harry's will give you $5 off your first order with promo code CRIME. So stop overpaying for a great shave. Go to harrys.com right now. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S.com. Enter code crime at checkout. I'm so relieved, Laura, that I was able to call out your husband's fireman mustache and you knew exactly what I was talking about. But that was actually what I was going to talk about because <laughs> he's he's really into this and he's, you know, yeah. Even if you hadn't mentioned on this show that your husband was a fire chief and even if I only saw his picture on Facebook, I would have 100% known he was a fire chief. <laughs> it's the look. That is how fire chief his mustache is. Okay. Yes. Anyway, moving on, uh, something that I know our listeners are very excited that we're going to talk about, but we're not all, no offense, Toby and Laura, caught up. So we're going to talk a little, slightly more generalities about The People versus O.J. Simpson, the FX series that everyone is talking about. So I'm going to start out, Laura, with a legal question for you. It actually came from one of our listeners, and it relates to what we talked about last time where we talked about double jeopardy. So what this listener wants to know, after throwing out a conspiracy theory that I will not repeat, because (laughs) we would have our own awkward liability moment if I did, is if it turns out that O.J. may have been involved in this murder in a different way than he was tried of being involved in this murder, and he was, say, accused of of being a co-conspirator, could he be tried for that or would that still fall under the double jeopardy rule? Do you know the answer to that? I don't know the answer to that, actually. Though I did see when this whole thing came out last week, I did see Alan Dershowitz was on CNN, I think, talking about this. And he was saying the only kind of loophole for double jeopardy was to file charges in federal court. And that would be different. And that was a way that they could get around that whole double jeopardy. But the, the statute of limitations is way gone by in this case. OK, so let's talk about the style of the show, People versus O.J. Simpson, because one of the things that I think is so interesting about it is that it's very stylized. I mean, it's sort of filmed almost like a 90s era show in a way. It's sort of the camera angles. It doesn't feel like a modern show. It feels like a 90s show. But then there's also this thing where. Except for them dropping the F-bomb. Yeah, well, okay. well, that, yes, but, you know, and, and the end bomb, hello, you guys haven't got up to that yet, Toby and Laura, so we'll talk about that next time. Do um, you see Dennis Franz's naked ass in a No, but you, we, we should point out that that did, in fact, happen in the 90s on NYPD oh. Blue. Um, is it possible, I mean, one of the big things about this show is the hair and the wigs and the makeup and the sort of famous people dressed up like real people. Do you guys, Toby and Laura, I'll start with you, Toby, do you get over that? The only person that really bothers me is Cuba Gooding being OJ. The rest of them I don't have a problem with. I think it's actually like the idea of uh, Nathan Lane playing F. Lee Bailey I think is hilarious. Mm-hmm. And and they're they're generally like most of those people are, are such good actors. Right. I think that it's fine. I, I, I think it's really hard for actors to play great athletes because there's something about 
sort of the athletic presence mm-hmm. of, of somebody like O.J. Simpson that I think it's it's hard for sort of normal physical people to get across. And so I, that that part of it, that's the one part I have a hard time getting past. Is there anybody that you would have cast as O.J. Simpson instead of Cuba Gooding Jr.? I mean, O.J.'s I, available. I, <laughs> no, he's not. O.J. is in a supermax prison, my friend. I know. Um, I, I, I think, but I think one of the things that, that makes like... Um, I certainly wouldn't cast The Rock in that, but I think one of the things that makes it, him effective is that he is sort of this big athletic guy who played, you know, uh, high level football. So I've seen Ballers on HBO, and The Rock looks like a former football player, and he's actually because he is a former football because he player. is a former football yeah. player. He actually is the person I, the only person I thought of who could potentially play that role and look like the role, maybe a little bit just in terms of persona. You know, like Spike Lee when he did that movie about basketball, which I'm going to forget, but he had Ray Allen, who's not a professional actor, but a a very good basketball player play the basketball player because he has that physical presence mm-hmm. that's hard to get if you have like Ed Norton or somebody do it. Right, Carl Weathers, who was the original Apollo Creed, uh, he was also he was a football player. Mm-hmm. So again, he had that that big build. There is something about the way too that athletes move. It's very different than the way that it should be graceful. Although people move, OJ's <laughs> knees were. Yeah, you know, yeah. Bad, well, yeah. But one of the things that's really interesting about this series, Hugh Gooding Jr. almost has. Like a side role. This isn't about OJ at all. Does it strike you at all that this series is not at all about the case and OJ Simpson? It's about everything else. Yeah, no, it does. And I want to say, just before I get into that, I want to say the one character that I cannot get past is the John Travolta character. Mm. Oh, I love just, him or hate him. I cannot take the eyebrows. I cannot take the strange mouth, facial expressions. It's just I can get past all the other characters, but I cannot seem to every time he comes on, I just find myself tensing up. (laughs) But what you were saying before, yeah, I I think that one of the things about this is OJ is sort of a side character in this. And this is really giving us a window into all of the other people that are involved in this case, from the defense attorneys to the prosecution team. And it's really humanizing all of the people on both sides. And, you know, I really like the window that we're getting into the differences on the defense team, the internal squabbling, the, you know, fight for who's going to be in charge and who's going to make the decisions. To me, that is really interesting. But, you know, and then every once in a while, OJ shows up. So he's there. And obviously, this is his story. But it's really the story of all all the people that worked on the case and all of these side characters and the people that, you know, the families and, and those people. Right. And, and like in our true crime stories, you know, they always sort of end with a, a, a trial. But at the trial, you know, your your protagonist or your bad guy is primarily a spectator to the action. And so that's why one of the reasons why we try to keep that shorter part of the book unless it has something to do with it. I think that the bigger the names cast, the worse the performance is. You know, John Travolta, I don't know. I mean, I think he's uh, he's too I tall to it. be Shapiro, but I, I, I feel it. like he's doing Dr. Evil. I love it. I'm sorry, I do. It just you know, I, I, I everything's feel... very, you know, and then he does this with his fingers where he rubs them together. But I, let me tell you, who is doing a fantastic job? Sarah Paulson, of course, is Marsha Clark is getting a lot of raise. But I think Sterling K. Brown as Chris Darden oh, is so sublime. Good. He is so, so good. first of all, he looks just like maybe they all really do. They did a great job. But he's just something about his conflicted nature. He is the only one on that team who sees the racial politics where all the white people are blind to it. And I think that they do a good job. You know, first I'm like, oh, what what is the, you know, is it just starting off with the Rodney King thing? Is that really, is it, no, that is really, really important because a lot of us who watched it were just, I should say, a lot of the white people, a lot of white America was not really paying attention to that undercurrent and didn't think, they were all about, oh yeah, the evidence shows that this guy is guilty. That whole other thing that the black community knew and that Darden is trying to articulate to Marsha Clark that it just wasn't computing. But I think I think Sterling Brown's performance is just really great. One of the I think the most key scenes so far was after his when he was asked to prep Mark Furman and he had that conversation with the Marsha Clark character afterwards and was explaining that you talk to some white people and you just know they're racist on their face. You talk to others and you know they don't think that they're racist, but they may have. And then you talk to others and they are not racist. And then you talk to some and they're saying all the right things and doing all the right things, 
but you just know that they are racist. (laughs) That delivery of that, I thought was really, really strong. And then also, what it's sort of making me wonder about not just the Marsha Clark character, but Marsha Clark in general is, was she blind to the politics or was she so optimistic about the legal case and the law and the evidence that, you know, she just didn't think, you know, even if that's true, it doesn't matter. It's Greek tragedy in the sense that it's her hubris. Not She obviously has a lot of faith in her own skills as a prosecutor, but her unwillingness to see the other parts that are, are going to ultimately doom the case that we already know. And it's just like it's, you know, the tr- we see the train about to go da- off the track, but she can't see it. I think is what's really I think it saves it from the cheesier aspects of it, because sometimes the dialogue is really kind of hackneyed. And, you, you know, with Johnny Cochran talks about how this game he saw, you know, OJ was in oh, and you God. bounce right back. You know, it's like that's that's a little like I think that's a little contrived. Johnny Cochran is awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can I say I love that we saw him in his little smoking jacket and yep. one of <laughs> And isn't isn't Robert Kardashian really Ross from Friends? Aren't they really <laughs> David Schwimmer perfect because not because they look like because it's the same guy. Oh juice. Uncle Juice. Juice. I, I, Juice. I, love, I love that the Kardashian girls called him Uncle Juice. <laughs> Uncle Juice. <laughs> Just to clarify, Laura, you've seen up through episode five, correct? Yes. That is the race episode, right? Yes. Okay. And that's where, yeah. And Toby, you have not seen episode five yet, right? No. Ah. <sighs> Wow. All right. We'll have a lot more to talk about this. Throw, next throw time. it out there. I just want to say Johnny Cochran is really something, right? And I never really had a sense of Johnny Cochran, as except, except for the caricatures of Johnny Cochran that were sort of out there around the time of the trial. Like We are seeing like so much depth and breadth there. And like his scene with Darden in episode five, where Darden just is like, we just need to, if we're just going to respect each other. And he's just like, I'm not here to respect you. I'm here to win. But you really root for him in a way, even though you know he's defending O.J. Simpson. For me, and this is the bigger question that you can answer even though you're not caught up yet, Toby, the way that this show plays with memory, you know, this past episode, which neither of you have seen yet, is about all about the Marsha Clark haircut thing, which I remember from my point of view being one thing, and it really shows it as something else completely. It really flips it inside out. When you watch something where you know the outcome and you know the people and you think you know what's going to happen, but then you see a different side of it, what does that say about the way that we're watching like current events unfold and what we're not seeing? Does that make you think about that at all, that you know these are real people and there is another side here? The context in which I'm watching this, you know, I wasn't that locked in on all the details of what was going on with OJ, but you, know, you couldn't avoid it. But I was living in D.C. at the time. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of weird stuff going on in, in D.C. Uh, as well with Marion Barry. You mean just, the, the the one who had smoked crack and the mayor. left, left the, the, the mayor, mayorship okay, and then came back? Who, yeah, <laughs> who didn't follow D.C. in the '90s. He was a he was African American mayor who was reelected a bunch of times, but he he was filmed. He was basically caught in a sting with a prostitute smoking crack in a hotel room. And about the same time, I think it was maybe the mayor of Atlanta, who was also African-American, was busted in a sting. I think I'm getting this right. But anyway, at, at the time, the, the real question from people who I knew who are African-American is, why is the government going after powerful African-Americans? Why are they going after African-American mayors of these big cities? So it was, you know, there was Rodney King. There was that. There was this, like, larger racial context Mm -hmm. in which this all happened. So at the time, it seemed, I guess my perception of what was going on was more sort of colored by that Mm -hmm. than living in Durham now, watching it on TV. I mean, that's kind of what it's bringing back to me. It was more sort of, you know, where I was living at that time and what kind of the context was that I was kind of experiencing all this stuff in. No, it's evocative. It sort of yeah. it sort of tugs at the memory strings and sort of pulls them inside out a little bit. Well, I'm hoping that the two of you in two weeks' time, you will be caught up in real time so that we can talk about the episodes that have come after the ones you've watched. Can you guys do that for us? Yes. All right. So I'm going to move on to one more quick pop culture topic. Toby, before we start talking about this, I just want to ask you a question. How much Downton Abbey have you watched in your life? How many minutes of it have you watched? 
I would say probably 0.5. Okay. So you've watched almost no Downton Abbey, like literally 30 30 seconds. seconds. Okay. Yeah. From the 30 seconds you've watched and from what you've heard others say about Downton Abbey, can you describe the show for us briefly? (laughs) Uh, It's about between the wars, sort of upper class, British people who live in a big mansion with a bunch of servants. Uh Uh-huh. And the sort of ups and downs they go through. You mean the stairs? <laughs> yes. All right. Well, that's not far off, but there is actually a lot of crime in Downton Abbey, a, a, an inordinate amount of crime. That you never actually see you on camera. You never actually see. And, of course, Downton Abbey just had its finale. We're going to talk about it for just a couple of minutes. So, listeners, if you have not watched the Downton Abbey finale yet, you just might want to fast forward for, like, a couple of minutes here. Laura, I have a question for you. You watched the Downton Abbey finale, correct? I did, yes. Did, did you dress up? <laughs> I didn't dress up. I didn't have a little party, but I, you know, I did cry practically because uh, I'm very sad to see it end. What did you think of the finale? Was it too neat? You know what? I felt like to me, it didn't feel authentic um, and true to the Downton Abbey that we have known for all these years because everybody got their happy ending. And I guess that was nice, but I have to say I, this is awful. But I was kind of rooting for something bad to happen to Edith at me the end. Me I mean, too. For crying out loud, I was like, okay. <laughs> Baby daddy's going to come in. I was like, when they said, is there any man here who objects when she's getting married to Bertie? <laughs> who I else said like, that, Kevin? Who else said did. that? I was like, Gregson was like, is going to walk through that door. Yes. I'm like, <laughs> yes, yes. And then she's going to be miserable like she has been for this entire series. And then, no, the happy ending. And I was like, eh. So, you know, some parts were satisfying. Um, I think my favorite part was when the Dowager Countess and um, Mrs. Mrs. Crawley. Yes, stormed in and rescued the man. That was that was one of the best parts of the finale to me. But I feel like it was a little bit too neat. I think they tried to be all things to all people. And I think in doing so, we lost a lot of what we liked about the series. And you could see each one of those things coming. Like, like could you not tell that, like... Barrow was going to come back and take over yes. for, you know. Well, this is my question for you, Kevin. Thomas Barrow, the evil footman and butler, uh-huh. was finally redeemed after many years of being the worst person in the entire world. Should we have forgiven him as viewers for everything he did yeah. over the years, including well, shooting off his own hand in the ward? He didn't his own hand. He just stuck it up to hope, <laughs> waiting for someone to shoot it. Uh, Toby's like, what are you doing? Yeah, he was like the most <laughs> evil, conniving character, like the first... And I loved two it. Seasons. Didn't you love it? Yeah, but he, yes, his his uh, redeeming arch. Remember, he like kidnapped the dog ISIS, <laughs> and like went to go rescue it. So, so oh, Lord Grantham would that. be happy with him. Rest in peace, ISIS. Yeah, and then uh, and then it was so when it when it came out that he was homosexual in the nineteen twenties. A um, gay dog kidnapping butler. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So evil. So evil. So evil that, he, you know, he <laughs> yeah. would connive. Remember he kicked the cane out from uh, Mr. Bates, mm-hmm. made him fall down on the gravel. Mr. Bates. There's a guy named Mr. Bates? Yes. Yes. <laughs> and when he was a boy, you know what his name was? Master, Master Bates. Bates. <laughs> did, did, did he get a happy ending in this one, too? He did. He got a very happy ending. <clears throat> How about, in, you know, the, the, the episode where it comes out that he's gay? Sort of everybody sort of like very progressively forgives him. Or they're like, oh, yeah, we knew that. Yeah, we knew that. And then it was like he was going to get arrested. And Lord Grantham made some comment like, oh, if every toff at, uh, I don't know what toff oh. is. All of our, Brit- all of our British uh, listeners are going to uh, remind me whether that's good. You know, basically everybody forgave him. And then Mr. Carson comes and calls him, what, like a monstrosity? Mm-hmm. Like just out of the blue, which was pro- for the time period was probably very accurate you know i just i can't imagine that in the 1920s that you know that, that that wouldn't have been the conversation every day what lord grantham said was if everybody who like messed around with their schoolmates remember he made that like really strange oh, remark yeah. like basically implying that like everybody at some mm-hmm. point anyway but barrow's and- redemption was seasons in the making which made Ugh. it believable it wasn't like so. all of a sudden Oh, he's not bad anymore. That was actually a satisfying character development for me. The, you know, the evolution of that character out of all the people. I, I think his character really had the most depth out of a lot of them at the end. And the last scene where everybody's singing Auld Lang Syne. And, oh, yeah. And, you know, I wanted to see, like, Mary turn and see the force ghost of Matthew and Sybil <laughs> in the corner watching them in their Jedi robes while the rest of them went nub-nub around the uh, Downton Abbey. <laughs> All right. So one thing about that you should know about this, Toby, is that there was this epic couple of seasons long 
very hot sexual tension between Mary, the daughter in Downton Abbey, the elder daughter, who is a super bitch and in the most awesome way you could possibly imagine. I am, by the way, full disclosure, 100% Team Mary. Every time she was horrible to her sister, I would like, I loved it. I just loved the way she talked. I just loved what a horrible, horrible person she was. She was awesome at being horrible. You know, she meets this guy. He's basically middle class. It turns out he's the heir to Downton Abbey. And the two of them have all the sexual tension. And it's great. And they end up getting together. They get married. And spoiler alert, Toby, um, he ends up dying because I guess the actor wanted to, wanted to leave the show. Yeah. <laughs> and then they Which tried- has worked out so good for him. Him. And then they tried to pair her up with like all of these wan, like skinny weirdo. And she had no chemistry with anyone. I couldn't keep the Brill Cream Brigade. I couldn't keep yeah. any of them straight. She had no chemistry with any of them. All right. So, well, then she killed the guy when yeah. she was having sex with him. Oh, M- Mr. Pamuk. Oh yeah, that Toby, was... you're missing a lot here. <laughs> I, apparently, there was there was rape. There was murder. There was uh, in flagrante unexpected death during Mary's deflowering uh, first sexual episode. Uh-huh. And then people like, dra- remember dragging the body out? And yeah. it's so, and prison time, trials. How many so people? Much I mean, God, whoever, uh, Adnan Syed should get the lawyer that they got both Mr. and Mrs. Bates out of jail for wrongful imprisonment. Oh, Mrs. Patmore went blind and then yeah. wasn't blind anymore. I remember yeah. the birth control incident? Oh, oh my, my God, goodness. there's so much going on. And that stupid doctor. I'm sorry, Matthew. I misdiagnosed you as being paralyzed (laughs) from the war. Just stand up again. Yeah, but you know what? He saved the day at the end with uh, Mrs. Crawley's uh, paramour. So Sybil would be alive if he opened his goddamn mouth. This is the most disorganized pop culture conversation that's ever happened. So I have to tell you, the most dramatic moment of this season, which, again, didn't fit with this entire series, was when Lord Grantham had the bloody... Like, oh, when he br- oh, the, his the his ulcer and he goes blur and like blood goes everywhere and I'm like this is so not consistent. That's actually with the show. I, I, that's actually what I thought was going to happen at Edith's wedding. Either uh, the ulcer would come either back. Gregson he- would walk in, or when when Lord Grantham was walking toward her in that white dress, right. he would suddenly start projectile yeah. vomiting. There was blood a lot of telegraphing of w- <laughs> what happens in the season. Like for like three episodes, oh something wrong with my stomach. Right, right. You know something bad's going to happen. Okay, so I guess final question, Laura, what will you miss the most about Downton Abbey? Oh boy, well it's kind of like watching a soap opera with fancy clothes. Kind um, of like it's one hundred percent. Okay, it is. I mean, I just I don't know what I'm going to do now. I have to say, this week I was on Netflix and I was like trying to look up old Downton Abbey, and it's not on. On Netflix. Um, so I watched an entire uh, series called The Paradise, which was like, watch this if you like Downton Abbey. Oh. Um, so I'm going need to need to find a new show. What about you, yeah. Kevin? What are you going to miss most about Downton I'm going to miss the Dowager Countess, Maggie okay. Smith's uh, Lady Crawley. Is it Lady Crawley? Is that the Dowager Countess? Dowager Countess. She was yes. such a, 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 a firecracker. And she had the best one-liners. She did. Yeah. Uh, no, Mary. I'm going to miss Bitchy Mary. It was who I will miss. All right. So let's move on. Let's head downstairs and Toby- talk. He so wants to go Sorry, like, DVR Toby. this now. We've spoiled it all. Okay. Just wait for the next pledge drive. <laughs> buy a tote bag and you'll get the whole like thing on DVD for nothing. <laughs> all right. So let's head downstairs from this conversation and do my favorite part of the show, a little thing I like to call the crime, crime of, of the, the week. week. <laughs> this is my favorite thing to have happened in a long time. And I hate to say that about <laughs> bad things happening to anybody. Lawmakers in West Virginia who consumed raw milk after passing a bill legalizing raw milk fell ill (laughs) 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 with with a bunch of stomach issues. Now, anyway, the State Department of Health and Human Resources in Virginia is looking into the situation. Pat McGeehan, one of the sick lawmakers, told WSAZ in Charleston that a stomach bug had been making the rounds. Several lawmakers say that a delegate who sponsored the bill, Scott Cadle, who's a Republican from Mason, by the way, brought in the drinks that may or may not have been the cause of whatever was going on. The entire Senate doesn't get a stomach bug at the same time. (laughs) So here's the question. All of a sudden, the upper chamber has the green apple splatters. Here's the question. And I know that I might be entering into gluten debate territory here. The CDC warns that drinking raw milk is dangerous. Yet I know from my own social media feeds that some people are downright militant about raw milk being super good for you and the best thing since sliced bread. So what I want to know, guys, is where do you stand when it comes to raw milk, 
Would you drink it? Do you drink it? Laura, go. I would not. I have to say, you know, I am pretty squeamish about things, certain food items, and raw milk is not something that I have ever drank, and I have no intention. Um, I'm even a little bit nervous about the raw cheese you can buy. So, no, I I will pass. What about you, Toby? Raw milk, yay or nay? It holds no attraction to me. (laughs) I like my milk pasteurized. But you did make an interesting comment about that lawmaker that we saw interviewed by that TV station, something I also noticed. Do you remember what that was? Yeah, it's tough because he's lying on a couch. He's clearly not feeling well. Not even well enough to continue reading his John Locke paperback that he's got <laughs> folded on his chest. He maybe was looking for some more political inspiration. Why did I sign that bill? <laughs> they toasted yeah, was- with the raw milk, right? Uh, yes, they all drank the raw milk in celebration of having passed a bill legalizing raw milk. Kevin, where, where do you stand on the raw milk I, issue? I heard there was actually, no kidding, a loophole already in the law for raw goat milk. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I'm kind of with Toby. Uh, I don't know everything about Louis Pasteur, but he seemed to get that one thing right by mm. the, uh, the the medical community. And I'm just saying, you know, I do not want to be there when they celebrate the bill where you no longer have to wash your hands after using the bathroom. <laughs> That's a very good point. That's an excellent point. Well, I guess we should probably end things on that note. Toby Ball, if our listeners want to find you on Twitter and interact with you there, how can they find you? At Toby Ball NH. And Laura Bricker, what if our listeners want to tweet to you? How can they do it? At Laura Bricker, and it's L-A-R-A. How about you, Kevin? How can our listeners find you on Twitter? You can find me at Kevin P. Flynn. Hit you up. Hit me up, baby. <laughs> what, you up? And if you want to send me a tweet, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. Our little show is also on Twitter, at Crime Writers On. So if you've got questions you want us to answer, tweet us or leave a comment on our Facebook page. You can also send us an email, make a PayPal donation, use our Amazon link, or sign up for our newsletter at CrimeWritersOn.com. And if you love the show and want others to find it, leave a review on iTunes. It makes a huge difference. Our theme music was performed by the New York Ska Jazz Ensemble and used with their permission. And this show was recorded in the studios at New Hampshire Public Radio. One quick plug, NHPR is having a fun drive right now. Give to your public radio station if you listen to public radio or give to mine. Just go to NHPR.org. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Excuse me? Uh, you turned my mic off. You can hear what I said. <laughs> I need to have one of these faders on you all the time in real life. <laughs> Jesus. Hey, Kevin, do you want to watch The Young and the Restless with me? You know, I'd rather. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Kevin, um, what did you want me to pick up for you at the grocery store? Oh, I'd love it if you got it. <laughs> you don't even need the fader. Just ignore what I asked for anyway. This is better. (laughs) So what do you want to do this weekend? Does it matter? Yeah, we're just going to go to Target. (laughs) All right. All right. I'm going to record my tracks now. Identity theft is no joke. That's why I'm excited that I've got LifeLock Ultimate Plus Identity Theft Protection. No one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses, but LifeLock Ultimate Plus provides LifeLock's most comprehensive identity theft protection. Go to LifeLock.com now and enter promo code CRIMEWRITERS or call and mention CRIMEWRITERS to save 10%. Call one 800 866 7341 or go to lifelock.com. That's lifelock.com. I feel so protected now. <laughs> Thanks. <clears throat> I didn't know I was on it. I'm so glad I am. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs>